tonight. For the first time, joined for our business wrap by Tembeka Sobekwa, Portfolio Manager out at Mianzo Asset Management. Tembeka, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening to you, Ayabo, and your listeners. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for coming through. Thank you. Tembeka, let's maybe start off, um, I guess, out in the world of insurance. And uh, we've certainly heard quite a bit in the last while. Uh, competition authorities coming out and um, raising concerns about collusion in the setting of fees on long-term risk products. Sunlam was one of the companies fingered in that particular one. They put out some numbers today, gave, I guess, uh, some indication um, insofar as their cooperation with authorities insofar as that is concerned. But what do you make, I guess, of how they've performed here? In particular, that new business volumes number uh, and also, I guess, uh, yeah, uh, some of their net results from financials, from some of their financial offerings. Um, yes, I think um, Sunlam uh, released the interim results for uh, the, inter- the half year ended in June this uh, year, this morning. And I think it was a particularly robust set of results given what a tough trading environment it was. Mm. You actually mentioned um, uh, the new business volumes. So with the new business volumes, we saw uh, there was a volatile market environment, weakened GDP outlook in South Africa and contracting consumer savings. And that did result in a decline in new business volumes. We saw a 17% decline in actual value of new business at, at a reduced margin of two and a half percent, and that and that decline was across the segments SLS and SEM. But if I look at the revenue side, the revenue was quite resilient. There was one percent rise in net results from financial services. There was strong double digit um, uh, growth across um, all business lines, but that was um, offset by a noticeable decline of fifty seven percent in general insurance. Now, if you remember, in general insurance, part of that is Phantom, which also reported their results, as as well as the Pan African um, uh, Business Farm, um, and they both uh, reported a decline, and that's largely due to what we saw in the, in the KZN flags and claims related to that, as well as decline in um, um, as well as in decline in equity markets, and then um, in the Pan African report. In the pan-African um, business, there was underwriting margin pressure within the, uh, the healthcare business. Mm, mm. And um, I mean, let's talk about that underwriting pressure. I mean, what just following COVID nineteen would have be led to? I guess some of the underwriting pressures, especially in the health offerings, uh, on the back of what we've seen with the pandemic. I think it's two things. We do. We can see that in in the the consumers are increasingly becoming under pressure as well as we in an environment where costs are coming up. So even when they, you're getting the new business, um, you find that there is, some insurers have stated that they've seen the, tra- the trend of downtrading, um, consumers moving to cheaper products, um, as well as um, they're struggling to keep their costs in line. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess the, the other dynamic, of course, insofar as insurance is concerned, uh, many people during the pandemic would have, I guess, you know, either cashed out their risk cover or, you know, would have found themselves in a situation uh, during that pandemic where disposable incomes are, you know, uh, squeezed somewhat. Um, yeah. and, and that might have affected, I guess, some of the new business volumes or people who might be opting into some of the risk products that Sunlam would sell. Yes, you definitely did see that shift. So, um what, one thing that uh, management did note is that they've done a study to say that 
um, there's a strong correlation between um, uh, life, uh, uh, life insurance type products and um, uh, 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 the level of wealth, the disposable income that one has. And then there's also a strong correlation um, uh, between um, uh, the people taking out insurance for risk uh, products as well as the, 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 the market volatility. So I think that they have seen that impacting their volume, uh, their the, the volume, their business volume. Mm-hmm. Let's shift our attention, I guess, away from uh, Sandam and the world of insurance slightly and uh, take a look at, uh, yeah, what's happening out to Tencent. Now, we know, of course, uh, Process um, slash Naspis, I, I mean, and we can talk about the sophisticated, you know, structures involved there. But one mm-hmm. of the biggest drivers of how large their market capitalization is, is their holding in Tencent. Now, of course, yeah. just shy of a third or so. Uh, and it seems now there are some murmurs out in Hong Kong. Uh, that uh, they've warehoused uh, for disposal some of uh, their shares that they've held uh, as part of ongoing disposals there, which have been countered by Tencent, uh, which has faced its own troubles, uh, by a very aggressive share buyback program. So this is an example of how um, when a big company um, uh, uh, sneezes, we all get impacted. So uh, Tencent is you, you're quite right. It's a big tech. Uh, it's a big tech giant, and um, Process owns 29% of it, and in turn, Nestus owns uh, more than 50% of Process. So it makes up a large part of the the valuation. So today, with that news that um, 2% stake um, of Tencent showed up in the Hong Kong clearing system. It triggered speculation that there might be an aggressive sh- uh, selling by a major shareholder. Now, when you look at the shareholder book of um, uh, Tencent, there's only four big shareholders big enough uh, that have a stake bigger than 2%, and those are BlackRock, Vanguard, Pony Ma, which is the founder of um, uh, Tencent, as well as Process. Now, if you remember, earlier on in the year, around June, Process did announce, Process and Tencent did announce that they'll be selling off the Tencent shares and using some of those proceeds to buy back Nestus and Process shares just to reduce that. Um, they've got a massive trading discount to their NAV. And some of that, they, they've said that they're going in there reducing the Tencent shares. It's going to be in an orderly fashion that's going to involve daily trading out of Tencent of not more than 3 to 5% of the daily traded volumes um, of the share. Yeah. So in my view, given the 2% stake that's been passed there, it, it's likely that it's, it's not, um, it's not uh, a process and it might be the other shareholders. Who are some of the other big shareholders here? I mean, if not process, uh, who are some of the other ones? Uh, because, of course, so they're quite the prominent one, but there are other shareholders as well. No, the, I mean, the, none are big, are, are big enough to pop a 2% stake. And like I said, um, it's, it's, it's most likely, in my view, BlackRock mm. or Vanguard, which are tracker funds. And so um, when you look at Tencent, it's down 32% year to date. And that's in line with the global sell-off we've seen in tech and Chinese stocks. So it might be them um, parking that stake just to rebalance the asset allocation to be in line with how global markets are performing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess, you know, when one looks at what has been happening in um, Tencent, uh, from the challenges they've been receiving from the, uh, you know, um, 
CPC government out in Beijing, right through to yeah. the recurring mm-hmm. lockdowns, subdued growth conditions in the Chinese economy in the world's most populous nation. Um, how have they responded to that? Well, I mean, I think that companies that have um, uh, enjoyed strong double-digit growth um, since inception, and for the first time, um, for the first time ever, you can see that they in, they reported their second quarter numbers last month, and they reco- they reported their first decline in uh, in revenue, and they have cited the COVID lockdown, and then also people not mis- working from home, but not necessarily um, uh, buying games, as well as their advert- advertising revenue being down. So they have said that they expect things like advertising revenue to normalize, but it is flagging a weakness in the Chinese um, economy, which is concerning for investors. You've seen that Tencent has been trying to grow the exposure outside of China, so they are trying to make acquisitions in other companies, and I think that's actually them trying to grow their book mm. outside of their current court, uh, exposure of, uh, uh, to the court Chinese economy. Yeah, yeah. And then Tembe what is a dark store? I I know it's one of those concepts that was so foreign to us before. Um, and in fact, if it wasn't for COVID, it's something that's so futuristic. I thought it would never happen <laughs> in my in my lifetime. So basically, a dark store is this concept that really took um, emerged um, during uh, COVID. It's a retail store. It's exclusively online. So there's no in-store interaction, Mm. and it exists purely to satisfy online purchases. So this this concept has now emerged as a new distribution channel for for retailers during COVID. If you remember, during hard lockdown, retailers struggled with a decline in in foot traffic because Mm. once first it was lockdown, and after lockdown, people were just generally scared to go to uh, to stop. To shop, so we still we needed to find a way to get the stuff out of groceries and the things that we need, and then we saw um, online platforms coming about. Now, as online platforms ca- come about, um, we need we need the supply chain to service those online uh, those online stores. So, one of these dark stores that's going to be opened is by um, checkers in, in 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 as part of the sixty. 61 hour delivery service. Now, now, you know, I mean, I guess this particular business model really introduces the the challenge of this whole idea of, you know, warehousing, freight forwarding and so on. Yeah. Um, rather than all of the other elements of retail or face-to-face retail that people would be accustomed to. Um, yeah. I mean, f- for an entity like like ShopRite, I mean, they've, they've tried quite a bit if one thinks about the ShopRite X uh, uh, offerings, I mean, I remember they had yeah. a demo store. I was quite critical of it out in Brackenfell, uh, which, uh, you know, didn't have any cashiers or, or people at, uh, you know, the checking points uh, mm. to, uh, of course, where you would normally go and sort of scan your stuff and then and then ultimately pay. Uh, all of these, it seems, are just, I guess, um, you know, lab experiments of what potentially might be the future of retail. And we're already seeing it in many other parts of the world. Mm. No, definitely. I mean, I think ShopRite has always been vocal that you know they 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 main store, they're going to retain their their key store, and that's going to be their center. 
But for growth, they're going to try other ways and other channels to try to grow their revenue. And I think that that's why you've seen the, they've tried these, um, the X stores. And I think that has not been as successful as, for example, the 60 uh, one hour delivery channel, mm. delivery service, because you have to also look at the economy that you operate in, you, you, you know. And in, in South Africa, you have to look at things like your consumer, what are they used to, and also the level of job creation around what you're doing. And with the extras, I mean, I, I just don't think, I, 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 didn't, um, I didn't think we're quite there yet. But with the, with the 61, it's convenient. And there's research that says that um, it's cheaper than actually going to the stores, given um, the high fuel prices. And not only that, I mean, they've now created more than 6,000 jobs, and they are in over 300 locations. That, uh, that phenomenal growth doesn't surprise me. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I guess, you know, we're going to watch this one closely in terms of the implications it might have potentially for, you know, um, labor, the entire operating and business model, of course, of um, of ShopRite and uh, many other retailers set to follow suit, uh, one imagines. Uh, maybe just then a last one, Tambeka, with the brief time that we have. South African uh, primary account uh, in the current account of the balance of payments swinging into a negative territory here on the back of uh, higher than expected uh, dividend outflows and uh, we know every time we speak on, on this segment uh, as uh, as companies that are always declaring dividends left right and center some even paying down debt um, mm. and uh, of course also uh, buying back of shares and so on and it seems here a lot of the firms where there are dominant foreign shareholders in the South African operations have been paying bumper dividends, have been paying down debt, uh, and also, I guess, uh, some were meeting their own interest obligations as they came due. Uh, yeah. And uh, that has certainly had a massive impact on the current account deficit. Definitely. I mean, the numbers you saw that came out, I mean, the market was expecting a sort of 0.8% surplus um, or a 1.3% deficit from a um, 2.4% surplus in the first quarter of 22. You're very right. This um, sub data shows that this was driven by large dividend payments that was paid to foreign shareholders with direct investments into the country. And what has been flagged is that this was particularly for mining companies. As you know, mining companies uh, continue to post some record results and pay good dividends. And as South Africa, we've got a high level of foreign direct investment. And so some of that um, dividend is due to our foreign um, shareholders. And as a result, we now saw the massive outflow um, uh, from uh, our economy. And that led to a weakening of the rand. Mm. But it's, it's, um, it's something that just reminds us that, um, you know, for the last two years, we've been talking about our economy needs to recover to pre-COVID levels, pre-COVID levels. But when you take a step back, you kind of remember that pre-COVID, things were not really rosy. Because mm. when you look at the numbers, we've been in a deficit since 2004, right? Yeah. And then we had a strong surplus for the first time in the first quarter of 2020. Mm. And that was off the back sure. of rising commodity prices and the subsequent um, money yeah. we were getting as an inflow as um, we are an exporter of commodities. Yeah. Tambaga, 
Unfortunately, yeah. we're going to have to leave it there, but I think the point is well made about uh, you know how all of this is driven by the volatility and vagaries of commodity markets and uh, many of the companies declaring these dividends also happen to be commodity companies. Thank you very much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.